This week on Blue 58, after a loss in Pittsburgh, the end may finally, officially, be here. We discuss what, if anything, we can take away from this game, and after that, injuries have affected this season, but you may not have realized exactly how much. We'll talk about that at length today. And finally, Jamal Williams was great on Sunday, but you may not have realized exactly how great. We put that in a little bit of historical context. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Bearding. excited to be with you here on episode number 58 of Blue 58. Got a jam-packed show for you today, so let's dive right in with this week's headlines. Unfortunately, this week, only one of these headlines actually featured on thepowersweep.com due to some travel surrounding the Thanksgiving holiday, but uh, at least one more of them is going up on the blog, so we'll be able to explore that in a little bit more depth very soon. First and foremost, though, we've got to talk about the game on Sunday. Packers lose on a last-second field goal in Pittsburgh, and while it is disappointing to lose, the only real surprise is that it wasn't a whole lot worse. Uh, we were pretty convinced that this was going to be a blot in front of the Pittsburgh, or in, in, at the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers, in front of a national TV audience, and the Pittsburgh Steelers apparently thought that's what it was going to be as well, because they came out and looked pretty flat early on, missing defensive assignments, just seeming disorganized, discombobulated, all sorts of things, and Ben Roethlisberger is giving away turnovers left and right. Packers unable to really seal the deal, though they tie the game up late, they allowed the Steelers to come right back down the field and kick that game-winning field goal, tying, as a matter of fact, the longest field goal ever kicked at Heinz Stadium. This, though, to me, could actually be the best option for the Packers. Moral victories aren't a thing in the NFL, but if there ever was one, this is pretty close to, to, to being a moral victory for the Packers. Those feel-good feel good near wins. Uh, Brett Hundley played pretty well. Jamal Williams played pretty well. We'll talk about that uh, towards the end of the program today. The defense did some good things. Uh, they weren't great, and they gave up, obviously, uh, some key plays down the stretch. But I think there are some th- good things that you can take away from this game. First and foremost, like I said, Brett Hundley. There is some debate, and I, I think it is legitimate, over whether Brett Hundley played well or the Steelers just played particularly bad on a few big plays. I am inclined to give Hundley the benefit of the doubt and say he did play pretty well. And you know, I, I I think he did. He did play a pretty good game. Maybe one of the better games we've seen from him as the starting quarterback. Now, on all three of the touchdown passes that he threw, I think it could be argued that he did not do most of the work. For sure on Williams' screen pass touchdown. I mean, he, he dumped it off to Williams. Not a particularly good dump off, by the way. And Williams did the rest of the work getting it in the end zone. On Randall Cobb's touchdown, it looked like a busted coverage. Cobb got open down the sideline. Hundley gets all the credit, of course, for finding him. Don't want to take anything away from him in that arena. But on Adams' touchdown, he just left the guy grasping for air, and all Hundley had to do was make sure that he didn't completely botch the throw, and that was at the very least going to be a big play. And uh, and Adams did did the rest of the work and got into the end zone. Have to be pretty excited about Devontae Adams these last couple weeks, too. Even without Aaron Rodgers, he has done fairly well after some early struggles, mind you. But but down the stretch, he has apparently developed a little bit of um, 
chemistry with Brett Hundley. And that's not something you can really say for the rest of the receivers. Jordy Nelson has all but disappeared. Randall Cobb has been, let's just say, inconsistent. But Devontae Adams has had 80 yards or more each of the last three weeks and a touchdown in two of the last three weeks. He's playing very well, even with a quarterback who is not perhaps the best quarterback out there. I, I think you have to be pretty excited about Devontae Adams. Um, one last guy who really stuck out to me as well was, was Ahmad Brooks. This was the most active I've seen him in any game this season, perhaps finally putting those back injuries behind him. Uh, he was he was active. He looked athletic for once. Um, and he looked like he was actually making something of an impact in the pass rush. Not a big one, mind you, but an impact, which is more than can be said for most of the games he has played in so far this year. Uh, the bad stuff, though, there are plenty of bad takeaways as well. The secondary as a whole, um, not super thrilled about them. I mean, Antonio Brown is probably going to get his yards. He is one of the best, if not the best receivers in the NFL. Um, but Martavis Bryant should not be doing what he was doing. And it just seemed like another sort of lackluster performance from Haha ha Clinton Dix. Uh, if you did a drinking game where you, you took a shot every time uh, Haha ha Clinton Dix took a bad angle towards the ball, you would be in bad shape by the end of the first quarter because it seems like that's something he has consistent issues with. And he over he overruns things all the time. And he looks so stiff out there, you, you almost wonder if he's playing with an injury of some kind. I, maybe we'll never know about that, but it, it almost sometimes looks like he is a little bit looks like he is a little bit hurt. At the tackling too, I think I, I read a stat somewhere that the Packers had 19 missed tackles against the Steeler, which which against the Steelers, which just seems inconceivably large. But even if it's half that, that's way 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 too many, and uh, obviously something that my, as McCarthy would say, we will we'll have to look, we'll, we'll have to work on getting that cleaned up. Well, you shouldn't have to get it cleaned up heading into the last quarter of the season here. And finally, that that 57-yard field goal that McCarthy went for, the Packers leading 21-14. to 14. I understand the reasoning there. Um, if you can go up 10, you put the Steelers in a bad way, and they have not been doing a whole lot on offense to that point. But the odds of making a 57-yard field goal at Heinz Field are not not good. Uh, you're probably not going to come away with three points there on a field goal attempt, at least not from 57 yards. And then you give the, the Steelers such great field position that they go right down the field and the game is pretty much controlled by the Steelers from that point. I do understand the reasoning. That doesn't mean it was a particularly sound decision. But all in all, a pretty good result for the Packers. Uh, if you're one of the people who has embraced sort of the quasi-tank and Kind of not hoping the Packers lose, but not being particularly disappointed if they end up losing anyway, because I think the the field or the the field goals, the playoffs, are out of reach at this point for the Green Bay Packers. So disappointed, but not surprised, I guess is how I would categorize my reaction to the game. And surprised only in, to the extent that you're only they, I was a little bit surprised by keeping it as close as they did. Got to talk for a second about the announcers. Um, I've, I've heard from a couple people that this is a favorite segment when I talk announcers. So I'm going to give the people what they want. Announcers, I, I am struggling with this, this broadcasting pair because I have been a huge Al Michaels fan for a long, long time. 
But it seems like there's a point in every media person's career where they stop doing what they were good at and become, they just get to the point where they're playing a character of themselves. They're playing a, just a version of themselves uh, for the cameras or for the audio or whatever. And Al Michaels, it seems like, has got to that point. Take a listen to this. What is Al Michaels known for? Well, maybe laying a wager now and then. How would you know that? Because he talks about it all the time. 14-point favorite, huh? That's what they tell me. Wow. And I would know. <laughs> we get it, Al. You put down a bet now and then. It. Okay, fine. You don't, you don't have to bring it up. It doesn't have to be a thing. But that is not nearly as bothersome as Chris Collinsworth just talking to talk. There's a shot. This is while the Steelers are on offense uh, midway through the third quarter. They pan over to the sideline just after Hundley has thrown his, his third touchdown pass. And he's sitting next to Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. And he just starts talking and talking and talking. And he just never stops. There we go. How about that combination? Neither one of them has ever thrown a pass with their feet on the ground. <laughs> he looks like no big deal. Like, you know, yeah, we do this all the time. But this would be a moment, wouldn't it? This would be a moment for Brett Hundley if he could come into this stadium and knock off the red-hot Pittsburgh Steelers. It would be stunning. You think, Chris, would that be stunning? I, do you think anybody has mentioned that to this point? This is something that football writers and media personalities and people who talk about the games, the talk radio host type people. Football, there's so little of the game that actually happens week to week. You get all the games crammed into just a couple days that you have to fill a lot of time. So you end up coming up with a lot of cliches and just, just talking about, ah, this is how you play the game. This is the kind of player that you want. I hope we stay away from those, those sorts of cliches. But if you listen to, to football media or read it, you, sh you hear those things all the time. This is just pure nonsense cliche. Of course it would be something huge if the Packers came into this stadium and, and beat the Steelers in primetime TV. But everyone knows that. If you, do you have anything to add in between these two plays? No. He's just going to talk until it's time for another play to start, and then he'll turn it back over to Michaels. If you don't have anything to say, rely on your producers to get you something to say. Heck, you've got a company that you promote every single week on Sunday Night Football and you never disclose it. Just talk about pro football focus for a little while. You own this company. I don't want to get started down the pro football focus path too far, but it's, it's also absurd that Collinsworth owns this company and never discloses that he's promoting something he owns on this national TV broadcast. I would love to have a national platform where I could talk about one of my side projects for free and get it in front of millions of people. But I guess that's only for Chris Collinsworth. Anyway, Collinsworth bugs me because he, he does the Troy Aikman thing where he starts talking and doesn't know where he's going to end it. He should stop doing that. Moving on. Ballhawks. We've been tracking this stat all season. We haven't had a whole lot to track because the Packers don't like to get their hands on the football. But something interesting happened this week after Demarius Randall's performance on Sunday in which he had one interception and another pass defensed. He is the first person on the Packers this year to break 10 in total ball hawks. You can see the full rundown on our website. Uh, check out the week-by-week -week stats there. I will spoil a little bit for you. Only three of the top six players are defensive backs in terms of, of ball hawks. 
none of them doing particularly well, and only three of the top six are defensive backs. Why is that significant? Well, at least two of the players near the top for the Packers this year are there because they're racking up sacks. That is not that is the ball hawk stat that I care about the least. We've got other stats that measure that. What I want is is guys getting to the ball in other ways. It shouldn't be the guys that are getting sacks that are getting to the top of this metric. So we shouldn't be seeing Nick Perry unless he's having a real lights out year with double digit sacks near the top of the ball hawk index. We should see guys like Demarius Randall and Devon House and Haha Clinton Dix really pushing the top of that chart. And they're just not. Clinton Dix will go weeks at a time without ever getting his hand on the ball, although he has improved recently. It's just, it's really disappointing to see. Is this something that's going to improve over the rest of the season? I think probably not, but I am hopeful that guys like Kevin King and Josh Jones and Josh Hawkins can get to that in the future. All three of them have shown they can do it at times. Now they just have to do it a little bit more consistently, and hopefully that's something they begin to do. Third headline for this week, great observation from Gary this week going back into the archives from the power sweep, not too far back in the archives, just to the start of the season. We wrote a piece, he wrote a piece, uh, about the top 15 players the Packers could least afford to lose. Well, spoiler alert, of those 15 players, 10 have listed a significant or have missed a significant amount of time. You knew about Aaron Rodgers. Now look at the rest of the list. It gets pretty depressing in in a hurry. Um, just some of the names on this list. Of course, Aaron Rodgers has missed time, but also David Bakhtiari has missed time. Mike Daniels has missed time. Um, Brian Bulaga has missed time. Morgan Burnett has missed time. Lane Taylor has missed time. On and on and on down the list to the point that, like I said, 10 of the 15 have missed time at some point this season. The only five that haven't, Jordy Nelson, Mason Crosby, Josh Jones, Corey Lindsley, and Demarius Randall. I want to call special attention to Corey Lindsley. He has missed significant time each of the past two seasons, but this year he is one of only two players on offense or defense to play every single snap uh, of the season so far. It's Lindsley and Jerry Evans. Uh, incredible accomplishments for both of them, but especially so, I think, for Lindsley, who, is, who has missed some time with injuries in the past. Check out that entire post on thepowersweep.com right now. Very interesting stuff. Great observations from Gary. Um, I think I think it's worth your time. Check that out. Before we dive into our main topic, I want to call attention again to our Patreon page. You may have seen us doing some stuff over this Black Friday and uh, Black Friday weekend or Thanksgiving weekend into Black Friday, uh, promoting um, some 30% off codes that you could use via our Teespring store. But what you may not have known is that if you choose to support us via Patreon, you can get 25% off each and every order for the rest of forever. Our Patreon supporters will always be able to get 25% off anything that we decide to sell uh, via our store on Teespring. It's a pretty small investment to ensure that you're always able to get something like that, and it really helps us to keep this thing running. Um, There's a lot of stuff that goes into running a website like this. There's a lot of back-end costs, not prohibitively expensive, but it does, you know, it it, it is an investment. And uh, by choosing to support us, be a partner with us through Patreon, you really help us keep this entire operation running. 
and we love to give back to you however we can. First and foremost, by putting out content like this, but also by giving you an opportunity uh, to get a bit of a discount if you choose to support us in other ways. So 25% off to all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, check us out at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. It would mean a lot to me if you checked us out there. Thank you very much. While prepping for this week's podcast and thinking about some of the things that we talked about, I happened to notice a bit of a trend. Um, Going back over the last five or six episodes or so, uh, a few of the headlines, not the headlines, titles of episodes started to stick out for me. For instance, I am reading these in a particular order, but for instance, uh, The Brett Hundley Show, Fire Dom Capers, Decisions, Decisions, and The Case for Tanking. Now, those are four moods, I guess you could say, are reflected in those four podcasts there. Which brings me to the fifth podcast in the series that I would like to talk about. I'm just titling this one, Acceptance. Now, you may know the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'd like to talk today about the five stages of Packer's podcasting grief. So in each of these four podcasts, and now the fifth one that I mentioned, you can see a bit of a stage. The Brett Hundley Show. Well, denial. Aaron Rodgers goes down. It's Brett Hundley now. Maybe we got this thing handled. Anger. This one is a little bit out of order. This came a little bit later, but fired Dom Capers. Tried to not be angry that week, but I think maybe there was a little bit of anger that came through there. Decisions, decisions. What led the Packers to this point? How did we get here? Could we have done anything different? Will these decisions turn out to be a little bit different? That sounds like bargaining to me. Depression, the case for tanking. Tanking a season, it doesn't get much more depressing than that in the world of sports. And finally, now, after a loss to the Steelers, acceptance. What does acceptance mean? Well, in this context, I think it means acknowledging that the Packers season is probably over. And I feel like I've said this each of the last few weeks since we talked about tanking. Yes, there is a path for the Packers to make the playoffs. Sure, I acknowledge that. They could win out these past five games. But after seeing the Packers since Aaron Rodgers went down, do you really see that happening? The Packers would have to beat the the Buccaneers and the Browns. Possible. I would say there's there's a, a decent chance they could win both. I wouldn't bet on it, though. And then, assuming Rodgers is back and healthy, have a mini run-the-table run on the road against the Panthers, at home against the Vikings, and then on the road against the Lions. I, I will not criticize you if you think that is possible. I will just simply say, good luck, because it doesn't seem terribly likely to me. I think this season is over, and I think... It just got a whole lot less likely that the Packers make the playoffs with the loss. So what does accepting that mean? Well, we can move on. Moving on is important. It lets you focus on what's next. It gives you hope. And I think hope is the essence of being a fan. That line, there's always next year. Absolutely true. There's always next year. Each year could be your year. Teams come out of nowhere every single year. And most of them don't have a two-time MVP quarterback returning to the roster next season. I think there's every reason for the Packers to hope that things will be better next year and that Packers fans can hope that things will be better next year. 
And that's all the more reason, I think, to embrace acceptance and allow yourself to move on. With that in mind, let's talk a little bit about what's next for the Packers. Four main areas I think the Packers have to look at here between now and the start of next season. And ultimately, we're going to go into each of these areas more in depth as the offseason truly begins and unfolds. But first and foremost, coaching in the front office. Four areas within this area. Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, Dom Capers, and the assistant coaches. Ted Thompson, to me, I think is an easy one. Uh, He is under contract with the Packers through the 2018 season. I'm not sure off the top of my head if that includes the draft. Someone is probably screaming at me the answer right now. I'm sorry, I just can't hear you. That's not how this medium works. But uh, if he is, he'll take care of the 2018 draft or 2019 draft maybe and then ride off into the sunset if he chooses to not um, go for another contract with the Packers if they're even interested in that. I don't think Thompson is going to change things earlier than that, and I don't see the Packers making a change there either. Mike McCarthy, same sort of deal. He's probably going to be back next year. You obviously can't rule anything out, but I don't see a lot of reason to think that the Packers would decide to move on from Mike McCarthy. Dom Capers is where things get a little bit interesting. I think he very well could be gone. In fact, I would prefer, as you might have guessed from the fired Dom Capers episode, that the Packers go in a different direction. That said, you can't rule anything out. Stranger things have happened. I think there might be a mini uprising in Green Bay and around the country if that did happen. I'm just saying you can't rule it out. Stranger things have happened. The assistant coaches is where this this gets a little bit tricky because some of these defensive assistants are Mike McCarthy guys and some are Dom Capers guys. Particularly... Darren Perry is the guy who's most closely associated with Dom Capers. But if they made a change on the defensive side of the coaching staff, it stands to reason that the defensive coordinator would probably want to bring some of his own guys in. What does that mean for guys like Mike Turgovac, Winston Moss, and Joe Joe Witt? Guys that are McCarthy hires through and through, who have been with Mike McCarthy um, for a long, long time, closing in on a decade for some of them now. Do they move on if a new guy comes along? Do some of them move on? Do any of them? Do all of them move on? That's something the Packers will have to navigate through, and I think it's something worth keeping in mind. Free agents are going to be a tricky thing for the Packers this offseason. The big three, of course, Devontae Adams, Corey Lindsley, and Morgan Burnett. I can see very little reason to think that at least two of those three, Adams and Lindsley, won't for sure be back. Adams could be one of those situations where the Packers go right down to the wire again, much like with Nick Perry last year, but I think they're they going to bring him back, if only because he's the only receiver who has shown that he can produce uh, without Aaron Rodgers. That's got to be worth something to the Packers. It shows the kind of playmaker that he can be, even without an MVP-level quarterback throwing him the ball. Lindsley, much the same. Uh, I think he'll be back and be as solid as ever. Morgan Burnett, I'm starting to think the Packers probably will offer him a contract, whether or not he accepts it is probably going to be up to him and whether he thinks they're lowballing him, but I would be surprised if the Packers did not offer him a contract. They probably got a number in mind, and if he decides he wants more than that, they'll move on, but I'd be surprised if it was one of these situations where they didn't at least offer him a deal. 
Other guys, two particular ones in mind, uh, Jerry Evans and Devon House. Evans has been phenomenal this year. Um, if he wants to play another season, I see no reason to not bring him back on a similar contract, but I would understand if the Packers decided they want to go in a different direction. They sure have gotten a lot of good play uh, from those backup guards this year. Uh, Justin McRae has been very solid, so if they decide they want to move on from Evans given his age, I think that's understandable. Devon House, uh, I think this is probably the end of Devon House in Green Bay. I don't see him coming back in the future. I think they, they probably like some of these young defensive back guys that they have, but it's going to be uh, a question the Packers have to address and uh, I think I think I know what the answer is, but it's something they sure have to be have to be talking about. Now, these next two are more philosophical um, as far as the the Packers go. Um, their their draft philosophy and and how they manipulate and organize the draft is one thing they have to think about a lot, and their overall player acquisition philosophy. So things the Packers need to consider, and you can be watching over the next few weeks, and, and I guess the, re- the last month of the season, we're already there. Where do the Packers end up picking in the first round? Obviously, this affects the rest of the draft as well, but the first round is the one everybody watches. Right now, the Packers at 5 and 6 um, would be picking 17th in the draft if you believe WalterFootball.com. And that changes a lot week to week because there are right now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams sitting at five and six. So obviously the Packers could be as low as 11th right now, as high as 17th. They are on the high end right now. But if they they stay around five and 11 or five or six wins, they probably get a lot closer, if not into the top 10. So something to watch. But also worth considering, how many picks will they have and where will those picks fall? Right now, it looks like the Packers are going to have um, 13 draft picks. So there are seven original picks, probably five compensatory picks, and one conditional pick um, from Laurenti McRae, that trade uh, coming along. So pretty exciting stuff for the Packers, 14 picks coming along. How do those picks shake out? How do those comp picks shake out? They probably have five of them coming. But where they shake out, what rounds they, they settle in are still up in the air. Packers could have one compensatory pick as high as a third rounder for TJ Lang. But nobody really knows for sure how this formula works or what it means when you, you gain or lose players. You get the rough, the broad strokes of it, but nobody's really for sure how that works. Over the cap, the NFL analysis site or finance site, I guess more specifically, has a pretty good grasp on it. They think the Packers will do pretty well uh, given the free agents that they have lost, but worth thinking about and um, and watching as the Packers are watching this or are going throughout the rest of the season. Finally, this this draft philosophy is interesting. And one of the, the recent conflicts in the draft or, or major controversial decisions was on display this past Sunday uh, in the form of T.J. Watt. Uh, I think this is a volume versus quantity question, and it's something that will affect the Packers throughout the duration of the rest of Aaron Rodgers' career. He's, of course, not getting any younger. And at some point, the end is going to be here. The end is going to be legitimately in sight for Aaron Rodgers. He's going to know pretty close to how much more he's going to be playing. So when do the Packers have to go all in? And do they decide to go with a quality over quantity 
approach at that point. I think the Watt versus or TJ Watt versus Kevin King and Vince Beagle debate is is the quality versus quantity debate. Uh, do you go for one guy you think could could really change things, or do you go for a couple guys or a couple picks that may be able to change things as much as that one guy through their combined efforts? The Packers really, at some point, got to start hitting some home runs on draft picks if they're going to get Aaron Rodgers to another Super Bowl or the team to another Super Bowl. The the draft and develop and quantity, get get a whole bunch of picks strategy isn't unique anymore. Tons and tons of teams do that. You just look at the, the Cleveland Browns. They're trying to get their hands on as many draft picks as they can. I haven't done a lot with them so far, but they're at least going with that approach. The Packers at some point really got to start hammering on these picks uh, to really produce and really to hit one of those those home run style picks that really gives them a field tilting sort of superstar player. Will they start trading picks or doing things that allow them to get in position to to do something like that? I don't know, but it's something, um, a storyline, something to start thinking about and watching as the Packers uh, head towards the offseason. And as I've said, that offseason is, is just about here. Finally, free agents. Will this past offseason change anything as far as the Packers' free agent philosophy? Their seven biggest free agent signings have been pretty split on pass-fail. I think that's that's how you have to grade free agent signings, pass or fail, up or down. Martellus Bennett, obviously a failure. But Lance Kendrick, I would say, is a pass. Not a slam dunk, but he is a pass. Ricky Jean-Francois, probably a fail. I think to, to, be a, to be a pass for the Packers, you probably at least have to play most of the season or all of the season while you're here. So unfortunately, as cool of a guy as he is, that's a, a failure of a signing. Jari Evans, big fan, huge pass there. Ahmad Brooks, a failure. Devon House, I think, a failure as well. But Quinton Dial, uh, I think he has been the exact sort of player they thought he was going to be, and he's been a good acquisition. Uh, he's provided some real great depth uh, with Kenny Clark banged up at times, with uh, Mike Daniels banged up at times. He hasn't been spectacular, but he's been pretty solid. He was better than their other defensive line signing this offseason, and uh, I think that's a pass for the Packers. Now, people have been asking for years for the Packers to sign more of these veteran free agent types, maybe guys who are only here for a year or two years and kind of be stopgap players, but maybe a higher quality stopgap player than the Packers have uh, generally with their, their rookies or undrafted free agents. Given this failure rate, you could see the Packers maybe being a little bit leery of doing something like this in the future. I hope they don't, and I hope it doesn't change anything going forward. All that to say, just because the Packers season is effectively over in terms of a competitive standpoint doesn't mean you have to be miserable. You can accept that the season is over and start looking at these things. There is reason for hope, and it is in the form of next year, the eternal next year. If the present isn't great, you can live in the future. Hope springs eternal. Embrace some of that hope. While I've got you here, I mentioned that Jamal Williams had a great day on Sunday, but you may not have realized exactly how great. He is just the second Packers rookie since 1950 to have at least 60 yards rushing, 60 yards receiving, and a receiving and rushing touchdown in the same day, in the same game. In fact, only five players in Packers history have done it at all. Williams now one of those five. 
The only other rookie to do it was Travis Williams all the way back in 1967. He had 10 carries for 73 yards that day and a touchdown, as well as 66 receiving yards and a touchdown. And here's the kicker. He did it against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now that's something you know. How about that? That's just about a show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us, as always, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and Twitter. Just search The Power Sweep at either of those fine websites. If you would choose to reach us via email, you may do so via thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We always love getting emails from listeners. If you have questions or thoughts or feedback, go ahead, shoot an email to thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you would choose to support us, you may do so via patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Join our team there. Buy yourself a fine-looking t-shirt at teespring.com. We have a link to that on our site as well. And if you'd like to do neither of those things but still support the show, may I suggest leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, It helps us uh, get the word out about the show to more and more people and uh, is a great way for you to give us feedback as well. We always love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps to make this whole operation better. It helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Muerdink. We will see you back here next week on Blue 58.